0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside
1: Church. Philip said to him, come and see. Nathaniel's hearing all this, and he's not initially buying what's being sold. He's skeptical. And you know what? Doubt is not a bad thing necessarily. I know these days it's very sexy or very cool to be doubtful. But let's remember this. Doubt is something that you have when you haven't been exposed to the truth, maybe. Denial is something else altogether. And I think today's doubt is really denial. Marketing itself is something cool I can
0: see the promised land though there's pain within the plan there is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today, studying God's Word. We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: It's good to see you all this morning. We want to welcome you all, whether you're a first-time visitor or an old pro who's been here forever and ever. We're just glad you came. I know it's always tempting to sleep in on Sunday. There are other places you could be, but we're glad you're here with us, worshiping the Lord and the beauty of His holiness. We are in the midst of a series right now called Decoding Jesus. It's about the historical Jesus which is the Jesus of the Scriptures. We've talked before over the last few weeks that the Word of God is a reliable historical source document that exceeds all the demands and standards that even secular historians have for their own documents. And we are, after Easter, uh, sort of in the shadow of Easter or in the sunrise of Easter, uh, we have begun this series on the Gospel of John, Decoding Jesus, understanding who Jesus is. There seems to always be confusion, and people say, "Well, did Jesus really claim to be the Messiah? Did Jesus really claim to be the Son of God? Did he really understand all this, or is this or is this part of the traditions that the Christian Church developed over a couple of hundred years following his crucifixion?" And what we're doing is we're going through the Gospel of John, which is a John, which is a gospel that really re- reveals the soul of Jesus, his teaching. Almost 50% of its words are his words as he's talking to one on one with people or talking to small groups of people or even talking to 5,000 people. And what we see is what Jesus has to say about himself, what he believed about salvation, what he believed about God. And so we're working through this. The first week, we visited the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, which is called the prologue. It sort of foreshadows everything that's coming afterwards. And then, last week we were, in John chapter 1, looking at what John the Baptist had to say. Jesus walks up after his baptism, after 40 days being tempted in the wilderness, and John looks at him and goes, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Today, we're going to be two days, or 41 days after his temptation, after his, uh, after he's been, or 41 days after his baptism. And we're going to pick up again in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. You may want to turn there if you have your Bible with you. And I'm going to walk you through this passage, and then we're going to sort of get down deeper into the sermon and understand what it means for us, what it means for you and I. Today's message is entitled, The First Followers Bear Witness of Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus calls his first four followers. This is a year and a half before they became the apostles. And this is right at the beginning of his per, uh, earthly public ministry. So in John chapter 1, verse 35, we read this. The next day, 41 days after his baptism, he's just back from the temptation. Again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And he looked as Jesus walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. This is a big, a big deal. Because as we talked about before, this is... Messianic terminology here. John the Baptist is laying a title on Jesus. He's calling him the Lamb of God. He said this already once in verse 29 when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's an allusion, an allusion, A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N. It's an allusion to Isaiah's prophecy. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned each to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. This is what John is doing here. He is pointing out the one who's going to be pierced for our transgressions. And so we see this, the Lamb of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes, behold the Lamb of God. And one of the things I love about John, if you watch him, now that he has accomplished his mission, he's pointing everybody, he's detaching people from him and trying to attach them to Jesus Christ. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He is pointing people to Jesus. Verse 30, uh, we continue. Basically, he points him out, and two of his disciples start following Jesus. And we see this. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? These two guys start going after Jesus. He's walking along, he looks over his shoulder, he sees them, and he asks them a very loaded question, a very on-the-surface simple question, but I think it's a very profound question. What do you want? What are you seeking? What do you want from me? It's a question that we all have to answer when we look at Jesus. and When Jesus looks back at us through the pages of Scripture, what do we want from Jesus? Let's look at what they say. Verse 38 still. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? A lot of people think they're just sort of deflecting the question. They're trying to, you know, duck. And But what's going on here is that what they're really saying to him is, we want to spend time with you. We want to understand you. We've got questions for you. Where are you staying? This would be no cursory, simple conversation. This would be a huge, huge conversation. In verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Let me just give you a little heads up in uh, the timekeeping in those days. They didn't measure time like we do, you know, sunrise to sun up the next day or whatever. They measured it differently. They came to him at about 4 p.m. and they stayed with him a day and a night. They stayed with him the rest of that day and through the night. And they had this very intense conversation with him, no doubt. These were serious men. They wanted to know if these things were true. They wanted to know if what John the Baptist said was true. And so they go and they spend time with him. Just an aside, it says it was about the 10th hour. That tells you that one, the person writing is an eyewitness. And that helps us identify one of these people as John, the writer of the gospel. And so they spend time with him. And then we move, we move on. And it says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus uh, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So now we've got Andrew here, we've got him with John, and he, he, it says in verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now this is pretty critical because you just don't, as, as a Jewish person, call anyone the Messiah. The other thing that strikes me about this is the, after he spent the night with Jesus, he goes to, he goes to his brother Peter Andrew becomes kind of obscure after this, but he's credited with bringing Peter sort of to Jesus into the fold, as it were. But he goes to him and he says, we found the Messiah. We have found the promised one. This is huge. It also brings to mind what must Jesus have said to him overnight or the day before? What, what did they talk about? What was it that Jesus said that convinced him? A lot of times we read this narrative and we just assume People say, Jesus says, follow me, and people come running. It's not the case. And what we also see here is a little bit of social networking. They didn't have Facebook. But as you watch this play out, all of these followers know each other, and they go, and they start connecting with one another and bringing bringing each other to Jesus. So he goes to Simon, who would be called Peter later on. He says, we found the Messiah. Again, I look at this. He first found his own brother, Peter. Shouldn't evangelism really start in the family anyway? The people you love most, the people you're closest to. So he tells Peter, he brings Peter. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Cephas is Aramaic for the word rock. Now I don't want us to get confused here with the confession in Matthew 16, where he says, you, are upon, you, are, you, know, you, are, you shall be called Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. He's not, Peter isn't the Pope, and he's not the rock upon the, which the church is built. It's the confession that Jesus is the Christ. But he does call him rock here, because Peter would become a rock or a pillar of the church. So he, he looks at him, and he, and he says, this is who you are, and this is who you're going to become. Sort of a little prophetic insight here. But Peter came, whatever his brother said to him, whatever they talked about, after he said he was the Messiah, he came. You also have to remember, just to give you some more background, this is a time where they're waiting for the Messiah, right? John the Baptist shows up after 400 years of prophetic silence. He says, I am the forerunner, the voice crying in the wilderness. So everybody's kind of primed. Everybody's on the edge of their seats. So that's the background. These just aren't conversations taking place in the dark. So he brings them to Jesus and it says in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Basically going to walk about 20 miles. And it says there that he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Again, all these people know each other. And in the months to come, we're going to be talking about something called a discipleship mentoring movements, how we can reach people in different communities and different neighborhoods for Christ. But what you're seeing here is sort of the first one. You're seeing the, the, the faith reach out in its early days. Through contacts and connections, family connections, uh, professional connections. These guys were all fishermen. This is something that you're going to be called upon to do in the months ahead. And so he goes to Galilee and he finds Philip and he says, follow me. Because to be a follower of Jesus, you have to obey. You're not, and I don't, I don't want to confuse you. I'm not saying you're saved by works. But your obedience indicates what you believe and what you've trusted in. So Philip, Philip followed him. And Philip, verse 45, apparently is wasting no time. He found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one of whom Moses in the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Again, a lot going on here. We don't know what took place in that 20-mile walk on the way back. We just don't know. But we know this, that Philip, who would later be called Philip the evangelist, he goes and seeks out Nathanael. And he says, Look, we found the one. Of whom Moses and the prophets wrote about. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me later on after the resurrection in Luke's gospel where it says, And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to all of them the scriptures, the things the the scriptures said about him. Remember this, that when all this is going on, Jesus is talking to them. He is interacting with these people. And these people are listening to him. They're remembering what John said. They're listening to the things that he says. They're watching the things that he does. And they're drawing these conclusions, and we're seeing them displayed here in the text. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. This also tells us that while these men were mere fishermen, they knew their Bibles. They'd been to synagogue, no doubt. They'd been been exposed to religious training, and they knew. They knew their Bibles and therefore they could make sense out of their existence and they could interpret what Jesus is saying and they could interpret the times, the situations, and the circumstances. Now Nathaniel, a healthy skeptic, responds, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Nathaniel's hearing all this and he's not initially buying what's being sold. He's skeptical. And you know what? Doubt is not a bad thing necessarily necessarily. I know these days it's very sexy or very cool to be doubtful, but let's remember this. Doubt is something that you have when you haven't been exposed to the truth, maybe. Denial is something else altogether, and I think today's doubt is really denial. Marketing itself as something cool. So he's saying, now wait a minute, you found the one who Moses wrote about. Remember that the Messiah was going to come out of Bethlehem. At this point, Jesus is living in Nazareth, so there's some doubt because there's some confusion. So in verse 46, he says that. And then watch what happens next. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israel indeed, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. I think in some translations it says a Hebrew in whom there is no guile. And Daniel looks to him and he says, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. That's a huge leap from wait a minute, can anything good come out of Nazareth? To you are the Son of God, the Son of God, not a son of God. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel, which would be what Moses and the prophets had written. It harkens back to Psalm two. Today I've begotten you, you will be you know, I will give you a kingdom, it will never end. You are my son, you are the king. So these guys are are processing all of this. Now, when you look at this and and, and checking this out, because when I looked at this this time, I was kind of struck by the context of Nathanael's comments. Jesus does something with Nathanael here. He does something for him. He gives him something he can grab hold to, in this case, some indication that he's got omniscient or supernatural thought ability. He can see things. He can understand things. He can know the future. He can know what people are doing that he can't see. And then afterwards, he sort of ties it up for him. And let me just walk you through this. In Jewish tradition, when you meditated on the law, you sat under a fig tree and meditated on Torah, okay? And so if Jesus, if this is, if, and I'll check this in about 10 or 12 commentators. When Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, you know, it may have struck him as, well, wait a minute, how do you know me? And then he's seeing this and this is playing off. I'm meditating over Torah. And then this guy just explodes and goes, you know, you are, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus, watch him in verse 50. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, whoa, horsey. You're getting, you're getting ahead of me here. Jesus doesn't say, now, wait a minute. I never said I was the son of God, the king of Israel. Up until this time, nobody's bestowed a title on. They've been talking amongst themselves. But this guy publicly says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And watch what Jesus says here. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? He's not, he's not pushing those titles away, is he? Now, these guys have been talking about him. But at this point, it's out in the open. They put the veritable, you know, elephant in the room on the table. Messiah, Lamb of God, the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. Now the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus says, you know what? You're believing because of a couple of things I said to you. You haven't seen anything yet. In verse 51... He said to him, watch this, truly, 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 if you were in the Navy and didn't know Hebrew, this would be now hear this, now hear this, okay? If you were on a football team, it would be listen up. If you're in a classroom, it might be pay attention. I say to you, I say to you, he's speaking about himself and he's speaking directly to Nathaniel in the presence of all the others. You will see heaven opened and angels of God Ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is huge. A couple of things. Who is the most deceitful Hebrew we know about? That would be Jacob, right? Who became Israel. And he would not be a Hebrew in whom there was no God. And the picture here is Jacob's ladder where angels are ascending and descending upon the Son of God. Jesus has replaced the ladder. Jesus is the pathway, the stairway to heaven. And he's saying this to Nathanael. And there is some thought among scholars that Nathaniel was reading Genesis 28. Jesus saw him under the fig tree. It says, there's a Hebrew in whom there is no guile. And by the way, what you are reading about Jacob's ladder, I'm the ladder. That's what some people think this means. And today, as we are decoding Jesus and trying to understand the historical Jesus, who he was, what he taught, what he believed about himself, I think we're going to find that understanding these things, decoding Jesus, isn't that as complicated as we think it is, given to what the first followers bear witness to. And and you know what they start doing? They're doing what we're called to do today, and that's to change the world one soul at a time. They're not out preaching in masses right now. They're putting together a core group of people, key people, and they're coming to Jesus. They're bringing their family to Jesus. They're bringing men they know to Jesus. And Jesus is laying out for them who he is. So today, what I want you to do is you think about how they... Bear witness to him as I think, as you think about how you can bear witness to others, as you seek to understand how to decode Jesus, there are three actions I want you to take based on what we've talked about in this text so that you can understand who Jesus is, so that you can know that your role in reaching people in San Jose is not an impossible one. I want you to take these three actions because the, reaching out in the community, understanding Jesus, explaining Jesus isn't so hard when, number one, you consider the titles that are ascribed to Jesus in this text. Lamb of God. Where do we see that? We see that in verses 29 and 35. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In our passage today, verse 35, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. What he says publicly, he now says privately. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And that Lamb of God, like I said before, Given that John said, I'm the one that Isaiah described, it made people think, it made these two men think about Isaiah 53. And we'll look at verses 6 and 7 in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. This is what's going on here. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the the Messiah. He is the deliverer promised in the book of Isaiah, just like John alluded to earlier, like a lamb who is led to the slaughter. Trust me, decoding Jesus isn't so hard if you just take the time to try. Decoding him for yourself, if you're not a Christ follower yet, decoding him for others... Is not impossible. Just take what you know here in the first chapter of the Gospel of John and share it with When you see what the disciples heard and when you learn what the disciples bear witness to, you understand who Jesus is. It's not a mystery. It's not hard. This is the historical Jesus. And he starts racking up title after title after title. The next title he gets is Rabbi in verses 38 and verses 49. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi later on nathaniel answered him rabbi you are the son of god you are the king of israel jesus was a nobody he was born in obscurity he grew up in obscurity he remained obscure these people didn't know him john it never occurred to john the baptist that he would have been the messiah until he saw the spirit of god descend on him and light on him like a dove and yet now people are calling him rabbi something's going on here People are connecting the dots, and you can connect the dots for people. You just don't call anybody rabbi in those days. It'd be like calling them reverend. You walk up to a guy on the street and say, reverend? You don't do that. This is what's going on here. None of this is accidental. None of it. And so Andrew and John spend the day and the night with him and conclude that he is the Messiah. Nathaniel calls him the, the son of God, the king of Israel. And let's take that title, Messiah. It shows up here, too. Where? Verse 41. Messiah and Christ. 41. And he, Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which also means Christ. Remember, these were these were spiritual men. They weren't biblical illiterates. And they understand, after spending time with Jesus, who he is and who he claims to be. And so should we. This isn't a haphazard enterprise. This is the sovereignty of God drawing the inner circle into, to, into Christ's orbit so that they can change the world one soul at a time.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby on this special edition of the Grace to Live
1: radio broadcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening today. In the uncertainty of the COVID 19 crisis, many people within the Hillside Church community and all over Santa Clara County are in the middle of financial hardship, and we need to pray for them. And we would ask you to pray for us as well. We want to thank you for listening and supporting this ministry. But it is a listener-supported ministry, and in as much as we covet your prayers, we also ask you to consider a, a financial contribution to the ongoing work of this radio broadcast. Grace to Live Radio provides encouragement to so many people in the outside world who can't make it to church, and you can be part of that ministry by supporting us financially as you support us prayerfully. This is Keith Crosby, and I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement.
0: If you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening.